Okay, we have just finished up Hebrews chapter 1. Uh, but we're, we're, still gonna, we're just going to read down at the bottom. In Hebrews chapter 1, what was happening there is that there was this comparison between angels and the Son of God. The rabbis had a lot of, a lot of uh, um, respect for angels. And so what they're saying is th- that there's no comparison between what angels are and the Son of God. So, so for example... He'll, he'll go on and he'll, he'll say things. Uh, it says in, in, verse, in verse 8, for example, of Hebrews 1, But of the Son, he says, Your throne, O God, is forever and ever, and the righteous scepter uh, is the scepter of His kingdom. So he talks about, the Father talks about saying of the Son, Thy throne, O God, is forever and ever. So what the, the, the writer of the epistle of Hebrews is doing is he's taking verses from the Old Testament several different portions in the Old Testament, which we mentioned last time, and he's putting them together in the, into this composite and saying, this is all about Jesus. And if you look at the New Testament writers, they do this all the time. They will take verses, they will take portions from the Old Testament and apply it in the New Testament. Sometimes there's only one point of similarity and they inject it there in the New Testament. So we have very good examples before us of being able to take the Word of God, and apply it to our lives. This is exactly what the New Testament writers did. Portions of the New Testament, and they applied it, they applied it to, portions of the Old Testament applied it to the New Testament. We can take portions of the Scripture and apply it to our lives. So if somebody says, oh, that's, that's out of context. Well, I mean, what's the context that we have? Is this book just for the people then, when it, exactly when it was written? It doesn't apply to our lives? It certainly applies to our lives. And so he's comparing the Son, and he gives this comparison, and he gives this comparison to angels, and he summarizes in Hebrews chapter 1, are they not all ministering spirits sent out to render service for the sake of those who will inherit salvation? So he says of angels, they are ministering spirits sent out to render service for the sake of those who will inherit salvation. That is believers. That is the job of angels. Angels are to be ministering spirits, serving spirits to bless those, to minister to those who will inherit salvation. That is to believers. So sometimes you wonder, what has God ever done for you? Uh, Well, he's committed angels to you. How's that? 24-7 for the rest of your life. And and, uh, it says in Matthew 18.10 that it's... that angels are guardians even over the newborns and the children. It starts at infancy in, 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 in Matthew 18.10. Psalm 91.11 says that the angels are there throughout our life. In Ecclesiastes 5 verse 6, it says they hear what we say. So angels hear what we say. That's what the scriptures say. Believe it. 1 Corinthians 4.4 4 says they observe our suffering. So when we are suffering, we are never alone. God is with us and there are angels who are with us. It says in, second, in 1 Corinthians 11.10 that they observe what we wear. So, so angels even see what we wear. It says in, in Luke 16.22, when we die, they escort us to heaven. They escort the believers into heaven. This is the job of angels and this is the pattern of what scriptures reveal to us. Not that we are to focus so into angels and be into all this angelology or whatever it is uh, about, about this. We focus in on the Lord, but the angels are there to be ministering spirits. And remember the problem. We, we went through the theme of the book of Hebrews. What it was, it was the Jews 
who were believers, the Hebrew Christians, Jews who became believers in Jesus the Messiah, living around Jerusalem but not in Jerusalem, and those who were thinking about going back into Judaism because the persecution was getting so severe. The persecution was getting so severe that they were thinking of going back. Thank you. And, and uh, so they were thinking of going back to to uh, uh, back into this pattern of having to go into um, into into Judaism. This is what they were thinking about doing. They were thinking of falling back into this because the persecution was getting so great. And then when the persecution would lighten up, they would come back and be Hebrew Christians once again. And what the author is telling them, you don't have that option. Not that you're going to lose your salvation. That's what's often the mistake in the book of Hebrews, understanding it. What you're going to lose is your physical life. You're going to end up in the 70 AD destruction if you end up in Jerusalem going back under that. That's what he's warning them about. You're not going to lose your salvation. So remember, that's the underlying theme. So let's turn to Hebrews chapter 2 now. He says, for this reason, Hebrews chapter 2 verse 1, for this reason we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard so that we do not drift away from it. For if the word spoken through angels provide, proved unalterable and every transgression and disobedience received a just penalty, how will we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? After it was first spoken through the Lord, it was confirmed to us by those who heard. God also testifying with them, both by signs and wonders and by various miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit according to His own will. <clears throat> so you see that in, in, in Hebrews chapter 2, he is beginning the first of five warnings to them. He says, on this basis, don't disobey the Messiah. So what he says, for this reason, we must pay much closer attention. For what reason? The reason at the end of chapter 1. Remember in the original text, there were no chapters. There were no chapters, there were no verses. It's convenient to have numbers along the side. This is what we do when we write drafts and we submit them for publication. Very many publications mean that when you send in the draft, you put numbers by every line so you can refer to things. That's why we have the numbers there and the chapters there to break it up. But for this reason, why? For what reason? Because the sun is so much greater than angels. The sun is so much greater. We have to play, pay much closer attention. He says in verse 2, if the word spoken through angels proved unalterable and every transgression and disobedience received a just penalty, how will we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? So in verse 2, if the word spoken through angels, there are very few references in the Old Testament to the law of Moses, to the commandments of God coming through angels to Moses, for example, to David, for example. There are just subtleties that mention it, but it's really underscored in the New Testament. It's underscored here, and then in Acts 7.53 it says, You who receive the law as ordained by angels, and yet do not keep it. So in, in, in the book of Acts, it again confirms that the law was given to Moses through angels. Galatians 3.19 says, Why the law then? It was added because of transgression, having been ordained through angels by the agency of a mediator, until the seed would come to whom the promise had been made. So angels, it says in Galatians 3.19, gave this to the mediator Moses until Jesus came. Now we have the great Jesus coming. He's just underscored in chapter 1 how much greater Jesus is than all the angels. On this basis, he says, 
For this reason, we much, must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, so that we do not drift away. For if the word spoken through angels proved unalterable, and every transgression and disobedience received a just penalty, how will we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? So if you think about it, was there penalty for disobedience in the scriptures for people who disobeyed the scriptures? In Leviticus chapter 10, Aaron's sons, Nadab and Abihu, the sons of Aaron, the nephews of Moses, both died. God struck them down dead immediately for offering up strange fire. In Numbers chapter 16, there was rebellion by, by uh, Korah, Dathan, and Abiram. They opposed Moses and especially Aaron's priesthood. And God didn't just strike them dead. He said, get back from them. So everybody got back from them. And the ground opened up and swallowed them and their families and then closed up over them. God gives a demonstration. This is what he's referring to. He says there were penalties for this. We had read about when we studied the book of Joshua, how Achan, when he went against the command that was given for, for going into Jericho and he stole some gold and some clothing for himself how, how uh, he ended up being stoned by the community. And so you see this type of thing. In Ecclesiastes 8.11 it says, Because the sentence against an evil deed is not executed quickly, therefore the hearts of the sons of men among them are given fully to do evil. So in other words, how many people do you know that commit an act of sin and boom, lightning comes down and just consumes them? Has anybody ever seen that? Thankfully, not, or else none of us would be here. The, the, um, there is not an immediacy to the results of sin, and it causes us actually to commit more sin because it doesn't happen immediately. But to us, more has been expected. In Luke chapter 12, verse 48b, it says, For everyone who has been given much, much will be required. And to whom they entrust much, of him they will ask all the more. So this is what the scripture is saying. If the Old Testament law, which came through angels, brought down this sort of judgment upon people, we, of all people, must pay much closer attention. We must pay, pay much closer attention. He says, don't mess around with this. He's telling the Hebrew Christians, don't mess around with this. Don't think that you can get out of the suffering of this by going back into Judaism. You are going to lose your life through this, your physical life. There is going to be destruction and there will be loss of blessing in the kingdom to come. This is exactly what the pattern of Scripture say. There is the loss of blessing here on earth by walking in disobedience and there is loss of Reward in the kingdom to come. This is what happens. So you see, you see in verse 1 it says, For this reason we much, must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, so that we do not drift away from it. He talks about a drifting away. A drifting away. Think about what drifting away is. Think about that. Have you ever been on a boat? My, my dad used to have this boat and, and you could sleep on the boat. It had all these beds and everything. I hate boats. I hate boats because he would just use the boat and leave it to his sons to clean it up after he used it. It was just, I will never own a boat. I'm not even going to own a little toy boat. I mean, I, I just avoid boats. But anyway, you could sleep on this boat. If you ever got untied, you never knew it. You'd sleep right through this thing and you'd drift and you'd find yourself along the shore somewhere. If your anchor ever came loose, you never knew it. You're just drifting. Unless you had some point of reference that was away from yourself, 
that was away from your little surroundings there. You had no idea you were drifting. And that's the analogy that he makes for us. He says, you will drift away. If you don't pay attention to this, you will drift away. This is what he's warning us about. And it happens slowly. You don't wake up in the morning and say, I think I'll just, I'll, I'll just walk away from Jesus today. I'm just tired of this. I think I'll just walk away from him. I think I'll just go out and just commit a bunch of sin today and get God really upset with me. Nobody ever does that. It happens by drifting away. This word speaks of a neglect, a neglect of, a, 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 of an understanding that we neglect our, our salvation. We become apathetic toward our salvation. He says, don't do it. You can drift away. Jesus had put it a little bit differently. When, when Jesus was, was uh, uh, giving examples of what would happen. So this is in Matthew chapter 13. In Matthew chapter 13, why don't you turn there? It's a very interesting portion. This is right after Matthew chapter 12, the same day that Jesus pronounced the unpardonable sin upon, the, 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 upon Jerusalem. He kept saying, this is what's going to happen as a result to this nation. And he said it was unpardonable, and indeed it was. It was unpardonable. Individuals could get saved out of it, but it was going to come because their denial of the Messiahship of Jesus based upon his being, the claim of his being demon-possessed. He says that is what the unpardonable sin is. It is not something that you and I can commit. Not something unless you have seen Jesus in his presence and you did have denied his Messiahship on the base of, basis of his being demon-possessed after he has shown you the three signs of his Messiahship. That never happened to anyone here, so you cannot commit the unpardonable sin. And he said it over and over again in Matthew chapter 12 that it was for that generation. And look what he says then in Matthew chapter 13, and verse 3. And he spoke many things to them in parables, saying, Behold, the sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some seeds fell beside the road, and the birds came and ate them up. Others fell on the rocky places, and they did not have much soil. And immediately they sprang up, because they had no depth of soil. But when the sun had risen, they were scorched. And because they had no root, they withered away. Others fell among the thorns, and the thorns came up and choked them out. And others fell on the good soil and yielded a crop, some a hundredfold, some sixty, and some thirty. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Verse 10, And his disciples came and they said to him, Why do you speak in these parables? Jesus answered, To you it has been give, granted to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been granted. Right after the unpardonable sin, he started speaking in parables. To the masses, he only spoke in parables. And in fact, the scriptures say that from that point, he never taught the masses again without a parable. Never again without a parable. But it was such a shocker because you see before Matthew chapter 12, he never spoke in parables. Look, look at the Sermon on the Mount. It's not parables at all. He spoke directly. And then all of a sudden he starts speaking in parables so much so that his disciples are shocked and they said, what's going on here? You're speaking in parables. He says, because it's now they've rejected me, it's no longer for them to understand. It's for you to understand. But those who have rejected me on the basis of my being, their, their claim of my being demon-possessed, it is no longer going to be said to them except in parables. And then he quotes from the prophet Isaiah. But now let's go down to verse 18 of Matthew Chapter 13. Hear then the parable of the sower. So now Jesus takes them aside privately and he starts to explain it to them. Hear the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of God and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away 
what has been sown in his heart. This is the one on whom the seed was sown beside the road. So what we're, this is not what we're talking about. These are people who hear the word of God and before it can take root, the enemy snatches it away. So that there's some people in here, for example, that don't know the Lord. And I'm blessed by your having here and I welcome you here and I love you here. This is exactly for you. But this is what happens. I speak these words of scripture and the enemy just goes, put, just plucks it right out of your, your head before it hits your heart. And so you keep coming the next week. He takes it out again. This is what he's talking about. This is what happens. Now he goes on to the next sort of person. Verse 20, the one on whom the seed was sown on the rocky places, this is the man who hears the word of God and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no firm root in himself, but it's only temporary. And when affliction or persecution arises because of the word, immediately he falls away. This is another class of people who immediately receive the word of God and then they lose it very, very quickly. This is not what he's talking about in Hebrews because in Hebrews he tells us later on in the chapter, you guys have known about this long enough that by now you ought to be teachers. But you still need baby food, he tells them. By now you ought to be teachers. So what he's talking about is the third group. This is the third group. In, in verse 22 it says, And the one on whom seed was sown among the thorns, this is the man who hears the word and the worry of the world and the deceitfulness of wealth choke the word and it becomes unfruitful. So there are worries in the world. This is what happens to many believers. And I've seen so much of this, so much of this. Where people come to know the Lord, they get really excited about the Lord in college. They go into their little campus groups and they get so excited about the Lord. And then all of a sudden, they go out to their jobs and they don't have this community around them of people who know the Lord. They've never understood the power of the local church. They've never understood it. They've never become a member of a local church. They thought it was unnecessary because they had a campus group. They were embarrassed to go forward and to join a church. And then what happens, they get out into the world. They don't have this campus group all around them and the campus minister in this anymore. And all of a sudden, they start getting car payments and house payments and they get married and there's, there's, there's spousal concerns and their spouse is, 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 is pulling on them to do this and nagging them for that and the children are pulling on them and the worries of the world start choking them out. It is a suffocation. It is a drifting away. It is not an intentional process that I think that I'll walk away from Jesus today. It's never that. It is the worries of the world that start choking out the world. This is the way Jesus himself put it. I didn't make this up. Jesus said, this is exactly how it happens. And this is exactly what I see. And there are ways to mitigate this. There are ways to stop that from happening in your lives. You all just came from the service. You saw a testimony from a man of what the local body of Christ has done for him when he had this accident what the local body of Christ has done in his life. I can tell you from personal experience what the body of Christ has done for me when our family has become sick, when our family has become ill, things that people have brought us meals, the things that people have done for us, how they've surrounded us with prayer and concern, what the body of Christ has done for my family, for my children. All my children know things about music. I know nothing about music, nothing. I never taught music to my kids, nothing. I never played music in my home. I don't know anything about music. It distracts me. <laughs> but they learned about music in the local church. 
They went to Awanas and all these programs and people invested in their lives. I remember seeing people sitting there and teaching my kids Bible verses, teaching them how to memorize Bible verses. I mean, this is a treasure. You know how much they got paid for that? Zero, nothing. There was no payment for that. They were giving of themselves and donating their time. You had CEOs and people of very high value that if you were to pay them, you would be paying them $20,000 an hour. I'm telling you, that's the amount they get paid if you look at their stock options and everything. And they're sitting there and they're teaching my children Bible verses. This is what the church pours into your life when you become part of a local church. The other thing is the need for the Word of God to take this thing seriously. This is exactly what he's talking about in Hebrews chapter 1. He says, so that we do not drift away from it. Remember, there's this slow process. You don't even know it until you're up against the rocks. You don't even know it until all of a sudden your boat's got a hole busted in it because of the rocks. Drifting away, you never really sense it. He says, for if the word spoken through angels proved unalterable, uh, unalterable, and every transgression and disobedience received its just ben- penalty. Think about that. He says, every, every transgression in the Old Testament, every one of them received a just penalty. Well, I didn't see it in the Bible. Yeah, God didn't report every penalty, nor did he report every sin. But he reported a lot of sins, things that people said, the lies that they said. And we didn't see the penalty. But right here he tells us, oh, that received a just penalty. If you think, or if I think we get away with things, we are grossly wrong. There is a just penalty because he says, every word, everything that happened received a just penalty. It was a just penalty. It was just, he says, a just penalty. How will we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? Remember the verse we read. To whom much is given, much is expected. More is expected of us because we have the word given by the Son. That's what he's saying. You got the word given by the Son. Whatever you saw happen in your Old Testament scriptures in the Tanakh is going to happen to you, but more so because it was the Son who spoke this word. How will we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? It is not an outright opposition to salvation. It is a neglect of salvation. That is what it is. If we neglect that which has been granted to us, if we neglect it, then he says, after it was first spoken through the Lord. He says, the Lord gave this. It wasn't spoken through angels. It was spoken through the Lord. It was confirmed to us by those who heard. Again, he's underscoring, these are Jews in around Jerusalem, not in Jerusalem, they heard, they they were the witnesses, they they were witnessed to by the apostles and by the apostles' legates. This is the people who heard the word of God. These are second generation believers. We are nth generation believers. So they heard the word of God and, and, and there were a group of believers. The apostles saw the Lord. Then they went and they testified around Judea. That's what he's talking about. And they confirmed it testifying both by signs. They did many healings and signs to demonstrate that this is true. We heard it from the Lord. And they did many signs. The apostles did. You can look through the book of Acts. You think lots of people are doing lots and lots of uh, miracles in the book of Acts. If you really study the book of Acts, the only people that do miracles in the book of Acts are the apostles or the, the, 
the apostles' legates, those to whom they laid hands upon them and sent them out. That's it. That's it. Not to say that God doesn't do miracles. God does do miracles and He works through people. I'm just saying in the book of Acts, in the book of Acts, if you study the book of Acts, the miracles were done by the apostles and by a few of the people that they commissioned. That's it. Not by the masses. He says these signs came and wonders, meaning people were like, whoa, it's a wonder. That's what wonder means. And by various miracles, these were things that could not normally happen. These were miracles. And by gifts of the Holy Spirit, gifts were things that were given for specific purposes. And God talks about that. God again mentions the gifts. The gifts are given over and over again. The gifts are given. So, for example, in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 7 through 11, it talks about how the gifts are designated. They're a divine enablement. That happens today. God does this. But the other way to keep from drifting away is he says we take hold of the word. We take hold of the word that was spoken. Jesus said, if anyone loves me, in John 14, 23, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word. And my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our abode with him. If anyone loves me, he will keep my word. It is not how many times I say, Hallelujah, Jesus, that he measures our love for him. How does he assess our love? There must be some way he assesses it. He says, I assess it by your keeping my word. If anyone loves me, he will keep my word. You cannot know his word without being in his word. That is the only way that you can know it. You need to be in it. The blessing always came by daily meditation or day and night meditation. Never for three week meditation, three days a week, will you ever see a blessing promised in the Bible. You never see it promised. The promise is only for daily meditation. Joshua chapter 1 verse 8, Psalm 112 verse 1 and 2, Psalm 1, Psalm, 90, Psalm 119 verse 97 through 100. Verse after verse is daily meditation on the Word of God. You will drift away. I will prophesy over you today even though I'm not a prophet. You're just a data point to me and I have many data points that I've seen over the years working with students. And it is this, that if you neglect the Word of God, you will drift away. That you can be sure of. You want to drift away slowly? Neglect the Word of God. You will drift away. You will succeed every time in drifting away if you neglect the Word of God. We must have the Word of God and we must learn to understand the body of Christ and the local church and what it means. This is the Word He has spoken to us and it is for us, it behooves us all the more because it's been spoken to us by the Lord. By the Lord's Word has come to us. We take it seriously because of that. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you so much for your word. You are good to us. I thank you so much for your word. Lord, I look to you for mercies and grace. Mercies and grace upon these young people. That they would take your word seriously. Father, may they love your word and take it seriously. And Lord, may they understand the local body of Christ. And how that needs to be their community. And as they graduate, to understand the local body of Christ. Father, your mercies be poured out upon them, I pray. The mercies and the grace of God. Father, take these young people's hearts and draw them. Father, I pray that their hearts would burn now within them, as the disciples said. Were not our hearts burning within us? When he, as he spoke to us along the, road, uh, along the road and explained the scriptures to us. Lord, as you have spoken your word, Burn it in their hearts, I pray.
And Father, for those here who do not know you, Father, I pray that the, that, that the enemy does not snatch this word out of their minds before it hits their hearts. Father, draw them to Jesus this day. Father, that they would pray this day, Lord Jesus, forgive me because I am a sinner and come into my life. Thank you for the death of Jesus on the cross and thank you for his resurrection from the dead. Lord, save their souls this day, I pray. And I commit this to you in the name of Jesus. Amen.